Okay, certainly. Um, for starters, my name is Alexis Spalding, and my kennel is Mara Akitas. I was actually born in Michigan, but I have spent most of my life in Middle Tennessee, so that's, of course, where we still reside today. And I've currently got seven American Akitas and one American Bulldog. And I uh, work for PepsiCo as a district manager for their Frito-Lay division. Um, I think one of my favorite questions that I get from folks who ask about my dogs and, like, the breeding in general is, oh, is this your only source of income? Um, I have to laugh because I'm like, no, this is how I spend the money that I make up the real job. Um, <laughs> but anyhow, I think family. Uh, my dad loved hunting breeds, so we had retrievers and beagles, and that's where the majority of my initial dog experience came from. Uh, despite growing up with those breeds, they are totally not my cup of tea. Uh, much respect to the people that are involved with those breeds, but I like quiet dogs, independent dogs. So um, my first actual initial introduction to this breed was at a Mary Kay party with my mother. Uh, no idea if people still even do those, but we were <laughs> sitting in the living room of this house and the party host had this glass back door. Had to be six or seven years old at the time. And this mammoth of a dog came to the back door and I was just awestruck. Um, I'd asked the host a ton of questions about him. He was unfortunately not very friendly, so I didn't get to officially meet him, um, but I was still so impressed just looking at him. And I remember asking my parents for one, and we had this big dog encyclopedia at the house. And after looking up the breed and the temperament description, my dad was like, not no, but hell no. <laughs> so I actually waited until college when I was out on my own to bring my first one home and have not looked back since. Uh, that first one I got was a crash course. Um, did all the wrong things in getting him, went all the wrong places. And all of the poor characteristics and challenges that the breed is known for, he had those tenfold. Um, so it was absolutely a learning experience for me. And it's kind of what taught me the difference between purebred and well-bred. And also really pushed me as a trainer to learn more about the genetics, their effect on behavior, and being able to read and kind of work with these dogs. So truthfully, I owe him everything that I have and am today. Don't regret getting him for a second, but I am certainly more passionate about steering newcomers in the right direction uh, as far as like going to a breeder now. Mm-hmm. And before I got into confirmation sports and breeding, I actually started out with our breed-specific rescues. So everywhere kind of in the southeast with the Akita rescues that we have, um, did some fostering, evaluations, transports. So that was very enlightening to me as well. Um, definitely got to see all the good, the bad, and the ugly with the breed there. So Um, I had started attending shows and handling Akitas for a friend of mine prior to bringing home my own prospect for that. So that had been very insightful as well. Kind of gave me that hands-on experience and being able to look at different dogs and lines. So I was kind of better able to gauge where I wanted to go in the future with my own dogs and my own program. Mm -hmm. Um, But for me personally, the functionality and performance is a big focal point for my yard. Um, so, and let me first say, I do show an AKC confirmation, obviously, with my dogs. I do firmly believe that there is an area of, that is an area of importance for a breeding program. You know, of course, all standards were created with an original purpose and goal. So you hear that phrase, form follows function. Um, to an extent, that's true. But I will admit that there are a lot of dog breeds that have suffered at the hands of confirmation showing just because show rings and ribbons kind of became the only focus there, rather as that being viewed as like a piece of a whole puzzle um mm-hmm. so functionality and purpose was no longer really an area of importance for a lot of those in breeding decisions um but uh, you look at breeds like german shepherds border collies you know when we have such a significant divide between your show lines and your working lines um and that's depressing to me and mm-hmm. that's unfortunately the fate of so many of those and that's what i'm trying to kind of like personally avoid seeing happen in my breed um but the good thing is we what we have like currently going on is there's no real divide in Akitas. Um, the breeds kind of maintained over the years pretty true to their history, both mind and body. So that's allowed us to really try to preserve both sides of that in breeding. Um, and there are a ton of breeders out there who are using them for like working purposes or performance sports, but I don't personally find that the breed to, is like too watered down beyond repair really right now. Um, for me, as I stated, both sides of that is important. So I want a dog that can walk into a show ring and earn a championship title and then turn around to go to a performance field and title or prove themselves in various venues there. And that's possible. It's just honestly, yeah, I mean, it's possible in a lot of breeds. You just don't see too often where people find both sides of that coin to be equal importance. So you have your show people or your working people and rarely both. So I kind of want to change that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's pretty noble. So yeah, just going in depth of, of what are some of the activities that you do with your dogs? Yeah, so um, 
we kind of we're dabbling in a little bit of everything right now. Mm-hmm. Um, I get asked that question a lot, you know, because it's not a super common breed that you see. So, especially not in sports outside of the show ring. So a lot of people will say, you know, okay, what are the dogs used for today? Um, certainly, we don't have the need for these dogs for their original, really true working purpose as we once did. Uh, but, you know, you look at it as the times that a lot of these breeds, like, were created, humans relied heavily on the capabilities of these dogs for survival, you know, times, and it's just not where we're at in 2020. Of course, I say that as bad as things are right now. After that, here in a couple months. Um, but a few other breeders who are focused on the working side of the dogs, using mm-hmm. them for, like, hunting and working to preserve those original instincts and capabilities. Um, so, like, not only, like I talked about earlier, you know, not only holding up that aesthetically side of the breed, but keeping them true to their history as well. Um, but I really, you know, that's why we're focusing on the versatility titles for everything in my yard. So yes, this dog is a confirmation champion, but it's also tracking, it's hunting, it's coursing, and we're doing scent detection. And, you know, we recently started actually in weight pull. Um, that's been a fun one to start. Um, so if we can do it, we'll do it. There's a lot of things, obviously, the Akita is not well suited for. But that's really what I've enjoyed the most over the years with my dogs is just kind of pushing the limits of what we're capable of achieving. Um, and I'm learning every day. It's very, <laughs> it's been challenging. It's been a blast, but it is challenging with the breed. Um, but, you know, I think it's also important to note that from a genetic standpoint, we also have to be careful about the roles that we put the Akita in. So we've come a long way over the years in adding more stability into the breed. Uh, I want to be careful, again, not to stay watered down, because I don't personally think that we've done that. It's still a very formidable animal, but they're less likely to maul your kid than they were 30 years ago, and that's not a bad thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but due to the genetic like genetic nature, there are some things that they're going to excel at and others that they're not. And um, I don't know if you've seen on like my Instagram page, we've got an American Bulldog as well, um, that we do work in bite work. And we actually had her imported from a fantastic breeder out of Germany, um, for specifically for that purpose, because that was a sport that we were interested in, and we knew the Akitas, you know, weren't good for that. Uh, and I often get asked why, you know, why are you not actively working the Akitas in that too, since the breed is known for its tenacity and protective nature. Um, Akitas are just not genetically suited for bite work. And believe me, if they were, I would not have spent the money on importing the bulldog. Um, if I could have responsibly used what was in my own backyard. Um, but the thing about the Akita is they're just, they're an independent thinking breed. So that's something that they needed to be able to, or like a characteristic that they needed to be able to have hunting large game, being able to think independently from the hunter was crucial for survival and the safety of the hunter. Um, and bitability was just not something that the breed had. And it's really not something that they have today. Um, so you'll see that in a lot of the, the primitive dog breeds. Um, but that's one thing you'll hear a lot of trainers complain about when they're working with these dogs too. And Akitas are by nature aloof and very wary with strangers. So they aren't known to be the best distinguishers between threat and non-threat. So like rot, you know, like a Rottweiler or something like that. And um, the thing about bite work is that's absolutely a requirement for dogs that are doing that to be biddable and clear headed 110% of the time. Mm-hmm. And when with the history of the breed, they were used as a guardian dog, but not a personal protection dog. So it was an estate guardian at one point, which was expected to face any threat, be it perceived or actual, with um, unmatched tenacity. That's nothing was getting in. So there was generally no discretion in that. Um, and I, I personally feel like bite work requires discretion. So truthfully, being involved with the bite work world, like with the bulldog, and just kind of from my limited experience with it thus far. Um, I've learned a lot of people in that are kind of in it more for the ego, I think, than the dogs necessarily. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a lot of people get in that and it's, you know, the dog bites nasty and it looks flashy and they're kind of more okay with that civil aggression because of that. Um, the dog only kind of comes out long enough to go on the field, bite a decoy, post it to social media and like, okay, look what I've got. So as long as you don't need that versatility off field, I guess that's possible. And maybe that's, you know, what some people are doing with that. Um, but to me, a true personal protection dog, one that's going to travel with you and protect you in various settings at your queue, not their queue, that's just not something that Akita's fit. Um, and that's not really for me. That's why I love 
that my bulldog can go out and kick a decoy's ass on the field and then turn around and lounge on a patio full of strangers, you know, on days. Mm-hmm. Um, so when you take an Akita, like an Akita's nature and wariness and independent thinking and you start teaching them that certain people are okay to bite and they're going to start looking for that off the field, um, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So like, you know, the guy in the suit on the field may turn into the lady in the puffy jacket at the park and your dog may make that distinction on its own. So um, to me, it's just a liability. And if you look into any of the people that have kind of done it with breed, they're all very heavily trained in defense drive and it kind of lacks control. So the dogs are really like just back tied and pissed off. Mm-hmm. Um, so they are one of the older dog breeds and genetically still very close to the wolf. Uh, we've actually got two types of Akita. So what we've just called the Akita here, which is what I have, and that's commonly referred to as the American Akita. And then we've got the Japanese Akita Inu. And the United States was actually the last area to recognize that breed split. So up until a few weeks ago, we actually didn't even pass that as a club that was just voted on. Uh, so there was some like crossbreeding of the two variants in the States. And there have been a few breeders who were desperately trying to avoid that happening, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, but the two breeds are very distinct from one another. And I personally was pro-split, so I'm happy to see that JACA, the Japanese Akita Club of America, will have that recognition and broaden horizons in the years to come. So that's really cool for them. Um, I've got some close friends that are involved with that club. So it's very exciting time for that change here in the United States. Like I said, we were the very last ones to uh, recognize that. But um, the early history of the two is the same. It was a middle-sized hunting dog bred primarily for boar and bear hunting in the Odati region of Japan. Um, It was also, again, used for estate guardianship and then actually later fighting And uh, when dog fighting became a popular sport, the Akitas were crossed with some of those European breeds that had been brought over. Um, Some of those were like the English Bulldogs, the Tosa Inu, um, and that created kind of a more aggressive and what they saw as a better skilled fighting dog. Um, And later after the dog fighting had been outlawed, some of the Japanese natives were working to restore the breed kind of to what it was before those other breeds had been crossed in. then the war hit, so a lot of the dogs were actually killed for their fur to line like military coats, and only a few dogs survived that. And the dogs who were left over were then crossed up with the German Shepherd dogs that had come over. And again, the preservation clubs had started to kind of work to breed away from the impurities that had come into the breed. Um, so uh, the Akita Club of America was founded in 1960. And then the breed split into two different directions. So what we now know as the American version was developed primarily out of what was called the Dua lines so that had a lot of that German Shepherd influence. Mm-hmm. And then um, the Japanese was developed out of the Ichinoseki line. So it was actually uh, a pretty common misconception was that the Japanese type was the original Akita and that our American version was bred away from that since actually neither one of them is the original type. They both kind of derive from the same dogs in the same time period. It was just two different goals and two sets of people that went different directions with the breed. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So I, I don't personally have a ton of experience with the Japanese Akitas. We've had a few of them that have come out to our Akita Nationals over the years, but um, I personally uh, have a ton of experience with them. They, from what I've been told, you know, just from friends having them, they're a little bit more independent nature, um, kind of more of that, some of the other uh, Nepo breeds, but the Americans tend to be a little bit more aggressive because they did have some of those, you know, of course, again, that followed the dual line, so that had a lot of more of the crossbred dogs that were in there. Mm-hmm. Um, Akita, or American Akitas are larger, um, a little bit more dog aggression from my understanding, but again, that's all kind of hearsay because I do not have personal experience with the Japanese side mm-hmm. of it so mm-hmm. um honestly I, I don't believe that they're doing a ton with them in Japan as far as jobs go um you know they've got the preservation clubs over there it was seen as the Akito was seen as the national treasure in Japan um, they've got monuments for them they actually um so like over here you know when we would uh, a four-leaf clover is you know, a symbol of luck here. Actually, in Japan, when somebody has a baby or a wedding or something like that, give a little Akita statue. Hmm. You're going to really only see the Japanese Akita. None of really the American or just Akita you know, version that mm-hmm. we have here and that I have, um, simply because they had tried to kind of breed away from that and wanted to get them more closely back to what the other Japanese native breeds were. So you don't see a ton of... American Akitas over there. Right. 
is there anybody that, that you know of today using them uh, for hunting purposes? Yes, yes. Um, that is something kind of like what I touched on earlier. There is a few breeders, um, myself included, that are kind of exploring that side of the breed. Um, their prey drive is still very very strong you know they love nose work stuff like that and um i actually have a friend in russia that's still using them on board um so there are a few kennels or i'm sorry a few um breeders that are doing that um not a ton here uh you know and of course again i live in tennessee so we don't have nash middle tennessee so we don't have a ton of bear um but i actually i've got a friend out in montana um that I've kind of been talking to about potentially taking a trip out there and learning a little bit from them as far as, you know, exploring a little bit more on the hunting side of the breed mm-hmm. and being able to do a little bit more there. Cause there are, you know, again, I, I don't think that the breed has been divided really at all or watered down to the point of not still having that. And just from my experience with it and then having, you know, the people that I know that are still working with them for that purpose, it's still there. So it's just kind of getting more people aware of that and more people wanting to, today's day and age people want to get out and do things with their dogs and you know it's not necessarily now the necessity that it was back when these breeds were created but people are more passionate about going out and doing things with their dogs and whether that's hunting or that's dog sports or you know whatever it may be i feel like i'm starting to see a lot more of that um so i i personally know a few people that are hunting with them and i hopefully that you know continues to be something that people explore when they get these dogs because you know at the end of the day they are working dogs and they thrive having a role or a job or doing something so um, that would be nice to see that kind of continue to progress as the as we move forward can you talk about the uh this the breed standard set forth by the akc and and uh the akita club of america um so our standard begins by saying large, powerful, alert with much substance and heavy bone. Um, so that's, you know, they are supposed to be a very large dog. Uh, the males are 26 to 28 inches and bitches are 24 to 26. We actually don't have an overhyped DQ, but the dogs that are under 25 and the bitches under 23 are disqualified. Um, I think the head is probably the most characteristic part of the Akita next to the coat. Uh, it's massive, but in balance with body is the standard. Uh, the eyes are small and deep set. Muzzle should be wide and short, forming a blunt triangle with the head when viewed from above. Um, the ears are very characteristic. They are supposed to be small in comparison to the head. I think that's one of the first things you see when you start getting into the Craigslist dogs is those big donkey ears and German Shepherd heads. Mm-hmm. Uh, kind of start to backslide back into that, but. Um, the dog is longer than it is tall as well, and her angle should be moderate. So, mm-hmm. and of course, again, that coat, you know, it, it came from the mountainous regions of Japan. So that thick double coat is very character, a very key characteristic of the breed. And what about the weight? What's uh, what's a typical weight for a male and a female? Males are usually about 100 to 130, mm-hmm. and the bitches are about... Um, the nice thing about the Akita breed is we actually accept all colors except for liver and then blue, which I've personally only ever seen one time in the breed. Um, liver pops up pretty often. It's kind of like the liver gene in the German Shepherd. It's a recessive gene. Um, but the nose has to be black in pigments. So that's actually really the only reason that we don't allow liver. Um, I personally just as a preference, I prefer the dark colors, but I color is going to be the last thing that I look at as mm-hmm. far as breeding goes. Um, I like, I've actually got a dog in my yard right now that is a little bit more handler focused, if you will, mm-hmm. than what is typical with the breed. And I guess that a little bit sways away from preserving the, you know, aloof and independent temperament of them. But I have really enjoyed working with this dog and I'm very eager to see if this dog kind of passes on this to his offspring because that's been hugely beneficial to, you know, working on them for, you know, hunting and sports and all that, you know, those things that we want to do with our dogs. And uh, that's been something that I haven't really had, I guess, before him. And uh, so personally, you know, if I, if I could kind of, hone in on that and see that passed on to offspring and upheld I would love to to be able to do that because again you know with where we're at in life and you know with people doing things with their dogs I think that's going to encourage people to 
you know, be more interested in Akitas and doing things with Akitas because right now you hear a lot of, you know, people that are in dog sports or people that are just in dogs period that, um, trainers and things that don't want to really deal with those primitive breeds because a lot of times they look at you and give you the middle finger and don't want to <laughs> really yeah. train or do anything. So, um, I'm personally very excited to see kind of where that goes and, you know, where we are and looking back 10 years from now, um, and on kind of what we've been able to do and the temperaments that, you know, we've been able to hold on to. Um, certainly, you know, kind of like I mentioned earlier, the breed temperament has been stabilized over the years, uh, back, you know, 30 years ago, I, the way I had it put to me was used to go to a dog show and Akita would part the Red Seas because you'd come through and everyone would back up. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's That's not ideal, of course, you know, in any situation and especially not, you know, when more families and, you know, with more heavily populated areas are getting these dogs. Um, so I think, you know, having a dog that is more clear-headed than maybe what they once were and stable in various settings has obviously been a huge driving force between a lot of breeders today um you know i think a lot of them were exhausted from managing those dogs i personally you know dog aggression is in the breed you know it's genetic same-sex aggression we do have that um i you know if if we're able to kind of diminish that that's obviously a, a, a positive thing i have been very fortunate with the dogs that i've had you know i don't turn them loose together but they've not been heavily reactive on that mm-hmm. um so of course that's something obviously you know temperament's going to come first temperament and health is going to come first for any breeding decisions that we ever make but um, there are certain things like that that we're we're trying to focus on more as well and uh, what are some of the characteristics do they have when you you have company over and maybe some kids around so um, I, i've actually i've got one dog that is almost like a lab in an akita suit very <laughs> very social loves meeting people um probably would let you come in and leash it up and take it out of the house even if it didn't know you i that is not ideal to me i mean that's obviously not super true to the breed um i've got a few dogs that are very probably what you would call unfriendly um and with you know people coming over to the house generally speaking if i you know if i have people over and allow them into the home and you know the dogs know that I'm comfortable and have allowed them into the home, then they're going to be comfortable with them too. They're not necessarily social, so they're not really going to come up and seek out that attention, but they're not going to be on edge really either. Um, kids, you know, that is one thing. I've got a dog that I did get in at, you know, I got her from a little bit of an older age and she had grown up. My co-breeder um, has younger kids. So she grew up around kids and absolutely adores them. So, um, you know, when we're at shows, we get a lot of kids that come up and want to see the dogs. And, you know, my dogs have always been very good with that. But I don't personally have kids, nor do I have young children in the family. So my dogs don't get a ton of exposure, like direct exposure to that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've never had any issues with them by any means. Mm-hmm. So. How does your bulldog react around kids? She is one of the most social dogs I have personally ever met. Um, and it's funny because that was actually something especially you know with doing the getting her for the purpose of being able to be involved with bites bite work and you know not not being able to do it with the akitas i was hoping for a dog that was a little bit more aloof in the sense that she was not super excited to meet people certainly didn't want you know civil or aggressive but um almost like I would have preferred uninterested in people um that's not what i got she's Mm. very very social um has been actually absolutely fantastic with my Akitas could not have asked for that to go better. And the way that she kind of fit into my household and with my dogs, um, she's been, I mean, just truthfully, if I, if I could put <laughs> probably her temperament and the workability, the bitability, all of that into it in Akita suit, we would be totally set. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, but she, she's been awesome, really awesome. And, uh, does not, she'll, you know, and of course if somebody shows up unannounced, they're all going to, bark and let me know and things and she will too but sometimes I don't I'm not positive she knows what she's barking at sometimes (laughs) I think she's just barking because they're barking but (laughs) uh, we've had a lot of fun with her she's been a really cool dog so can you uh kind of talk about some of the uh pitfalls with the Akita what what are some of the health issues that they may have and and that uh, breeders need to be aware of yeah so um like many large breed dogs we do have hip dysplasia we do have joint problems um you know your reputable breeders are going to do either ofa or pen hipping 
on hips, elbows, patella. Um, we also have congenital eye issues. Entropion um, has kind of come up in the breed, and so we do surf structures as well. There's surf, and now the OFA does their care um, companion animal eye registry, and that is an actual annual test that we have to do. Um, so you're breed- going to want to make sure that your breeders check for those. Mm-hmm. Thyroid issues have popped up. We've had them, some hypothyroid in the breed, which, you know, a lot of times, if you're familiar with thyroid issues, is they can go one or two extremes, depending on whether they're low or high. It can be extreme shyness and timidness or extreme aggression. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've, I've heard several people, and especially, like I said, I kind of started out doing a lot for rescue before I got involved with, you know, the showing and breeding and sport aspect of the breed. So saw a lot of that um, dealing with rescue. And um, so thyroid is another thing that we test in the breed. Mm-hmm. Other than that, I mean, honestly, their lifespan, their life expectancy is 12 to 14 years. They're pretty, other than, you know, those issues, a pretty hardy breed. And again, you know, those joint and hip issues are something you're going to see in a lot of large breed dogs. So for us to really only have, um, eye and thyroid problems are pretty hardy as far as you know a breed goes right for sure can you uh talk about how they deal with uh, the hot and humid weather yeah <laughs> it's that's you know like i said i mean that's the the one downfall of where we're at um, i feel like my summers are let the dog in let the dog out let the dog in let the dog out mm-hmm. um it is very hot. The humidity is the major kicker here. Um, so we're doing a lot of like early mornings and late evenings and stuff like that as far as, you know, trainings and getting out goes. A lot of, uh, we're fortunate to have waterfalls and things like that around here so we can take them to places that involve water. Um, generally, Akitas are not big on water, but I think mine have kind of been forced into it simply because of where we live. Um, but, they, you know, they don't handle the heat very well. So it's, you know, definitely neat. AC if you you know you live somewhere hot they mm-hmm. love the cold love the snow you know my dog spend all winter and fall outside um you know so uh, it, it it can be tough again you know they are a double coated breed so they are going to blow that coat twice a year and that's going to come with seasonal change and um so it can be challenging as far as that goes and they they're much less active in the summer you know because the heat of the day they're not going to want to get out there and you know, go train for anything or go on a 10 mile hike or anything like that. So. Right. So can you talk about your kennel setup and, or, or how do you house them and, and what's the purpose behind that? Yes. Um, so I've got, again, you know, in the summer they're inside, so it is right now they're inside. Um, in the fall and the winter, I've got kennel runs all in the backyard. So they're in 10 by 10s and they spend the winter out there and the fall out there mm-hmm. and uh, purpose of that being a they just prefer it you know they yeah. enjoy the cold and you know it's, it'd be pulling teeth really to get them to come inside when that cold weather hits and it's also good for their coats you know we do most of our showing in the fall and the winter mm-hmm. um, in the beginning of the year so that helps to put that coat back on all that they lost during the summer so of course I, I say that we've got a show next month and this will be the hottest it has ever been since i've personally shown my dogs and it's an outdoor show so we'll see oh, how that wow. goes but yeah they're they're pretty bald right now but <laughs> we're gonna try it so do you show your dogs uh just in the akc or do you go with the, any other kennel club so so far we've only done akc um now i did actually take my bulldog to an nkc show mm-hmm. um that was hosted in North Carolina and American Bulldogs they just recently got added to the FSS list for the AKC but that's not something that we can actually actively show with them in so I was going to take her to the UKC shows and I figured if I'm going to be taking her as is I might as well take a couple of Akitas too so we're going to do some you know we had a couple planned on the schedule this year that obviously COVID canceled but um looking to do some of that next year uh never done a ukc show but i assume they're fairly similar anyhow so we'll see Mm -hmm. can you talk about the uh the weight pulling and and how how's that been and and how have they uh, reacted to it yeah um so the dog that i actually and this is something we have just recently started and that's not really a sport i had looked into much before getting my bulldog um, just because I had never really kind of thought of Akitas as, you know, that being an outlet for them. 
but the dog that I spoke about earlier that's got a little bit more biddability and handler focus, mm-hmm. um, he's the one that I started this in and surprisingly took to it very well. Um, he's, again, handler focused and he really works for me for praise. And um, so that's been kind of, not, I guess, nice to have as far as, you know, getting him involved with weight pulling. We have not done a official competition yet. We did have one that we were planning on going to. And once again, um, COVID kind of canceled that. But he's really been right on because I started my bulldog at the same time as him. And really, they're, you know, kind of on par with each other as far as progression and where they're at with it. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it, it's been really fun to watch and to work with him. And he picked up on it very quickly. Um, you know, right now, we're, that's something that fortunately, you know, with some of the other things that we do obviously haven't been going on this year, but weight hole something that we kind of train for at home. So that's really been a good outlet to have mm-hmm. just, you know, for this year, it is a little challenging with obviously temperatures currently, but, um, that's been, you know, it's been fun so far, you know, we'll see. It might, might be something that he does well at might be something that again, you know, in a couple months he decides he doesn't want to do anymore and we'll try something else. But uh, so far it's, it's been really cool. So, I mean, it, it's, there's certain things that they'll do and there's certain things that they won't. And, you know, there's nothing that we won't try at least. And, you know, mm-hmm. maybe we find a couple things that they love. I mean, I know obviously they enjoy the, the coursing and the scent work and the hunting and stuff like that, because that kind of hones in on those instincts. But, you know, I actually have a, uh, one of my puppy homes is doing agility with theirs, awesome. um, which is, you know, obviously not something that you would think of an Akita doing and, uh, she's probably not going to beat the border collies, but she's out there doing it. So it, it's cool yeah. because like, again, you know, you're starting to see these dogs do a little bit more than, you know, what they used to. And like, you're seeing them in different avenues. And mm-hmm. so I think that's really cool. So there's again, probably not anything we wouldn't at least try once. So yes. Um, that is one thing that I really enjoy about the breed is they're pretty adaptable to different lifestyles. Um, so they do say, you know, other than the fact that they are on the dangerous dog breed list, so apartments can be a little bit, apartments and like rental homes can be a little bit challenging in that regard. They do pretty well in uh, like close quarter living spaces. Mm-hmm. Um, indoors, they're generally pretty calm, pretty quiet. Um, but they're also, you know, if you want to go on a 10 mile hike, they're down for that. If you want to lay around on a Sunday and watch movies, they're down for that too. So um, that's something, you know, and I think, you know, that's a conversation I have with a lot of people, especially in regards to the sports thing. You know, if, if you want to be on podiums and agility, you're going to get a border collie. But I personally don't think I could live with a super drivey dog and super active dog. And that's one thing, you know, you, you love the breed or you love the sport. And for me, I love the breed and I love my lifestyle with them and, you know, living with them. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, we'll we'll take a couple embarrassing uh, <laughs> sports days maybe for that. So. Yeah, for sure. I think it's, you know, I, I do admire look, watching a Malinois or a Collie do, do what they do. Yes, absolutely. But at the same time, I it it all almost becomes, uh, I don't know if boring is the right word, but it's it's just too typical for me. So, I, yes. I yes. do enjoy watching the off-breeds uh, do stuff that is, doesn't necessarily uh, fit what they're supposed to do, you know what I mean? And it just kind of gives the, I don't know, it kind of gives some credit to the handler, you know what I mean? Where, yeah, where yeah you, I agree you, wholeheartedly with that. Where you kind of lose that with a Collie or, or a, a Malinois, you know what I mean? Because they, they're they doing what they do, you know what I mean? Yes. <laughs> so. Yeah, it, it's it's more cookie cutter when you yeah. see it with, you know, that those breeds doing it, which is another reason too. you know, again, I, I didn't want to have a super drivey dog. I, I'm not, you know, respect to people that have shepherds, not, not for me, not mm-hmm. really, you know, something that I like, which is why instead of, you know, when I said I wanted to get into bite work, I thought that I could live with an American bulldog a lot better than I could live with a Belgian Malinois or, you know, a, a German shepherd. And that's yeah. what we went with. And we're certainly not going to beat out those dogs, but, I think, you know, it, it says something for the person that shows up and is the odd man out and does it. And whether, you know, you're the, you're not, you know, necessarily going to win probably a lot of those, but mm-hmm. you showed up and, you know, you did it and you hung with the crowd. And, you know, I, I think that's cool to be able to go out there and do that. And again, I mean, that, that's a big goal for me and for my program and also hopefully for, you know, anybody that gets puppies for me and, you know, or, or works alongside me. I hope to see these dogs doing more and continuing to kind of push the envelope on that so 
And how have some of your dogs taken to the, the show ring? Has it been difficult to, to get them to, you know, perform in that atmosphere? Or, and, and what are some of the pitfalls and, and some of the things that have been hard for you to, to get them show ready? Um, so honestly, yes. Uh, my dogs, I, I think because we do other things, they think showing is so boring. Um, and it is, you know, to, let's be honest, it is. I mean, it, it's they walk in a ring and they run in a circle and, mm-hmm. you know, they get judged. It's not an exciting thing for the dog. Um, I've got one dog that is pretty what we would call showy. Um, she enjoys it. Um, but she's really my only one that does. And she also, you know, does some other stuff too. But um, that's not as much as, again, I definitely hold an importance on the standard and putting that, you know, titles on that side of my dog. But that's not our, you know, biggest focal area. So um, I think both for me, sometimes that that becomes a little redundant, and um, you know, maybe not where we would want to be um, on any given day. But you know, they 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 go out there and they do it, and it's not a long process. You know, sometimes those show days were there for a long time, but they're not in the ring for a long time, so um, it's not been too too challenging. Uh, I said earlier, I mean the temperature right now and especially because we are going to do a show that we've actually got two planned for this summer that I normally would not have entered uh, so that has been you know with a double coated breed trying to get the coats where you want them for a show mm-hmm. can be a little bit of a challenge there and honestly at this point I've kind of just given up that they're going to be bald and <laughs> we're gonna, you know or it'll it'll be what it'll be at this point because I have fought these coats for weeks and weeks and it's, we're not really making much ground on it so Um, but generally and again they're outside in the fall and the winter so they're able to put those back on and by the time we are getting back to our shows what would have been a normal schedule for us had it you know covid not happened um they would you know not too hard to roll the coats back on so right um i I think there's a little blame to be put placed on both sides of that Uh um certainly you know, again, not speaking on my breed specifically because we really are fortunate to not have such a divide there. But when you take dogs like, you know, the Border Collie or, again, the German Shepherd or, you know, some of those that do have such a heavy divide between the line dogs and the working line dogs. And I think a lot of that does come from where emphasis is put on the wrong things and people get so focused on ribbons and winning and the notoriety of it and and it you kind of lose sight of why you were there to begin with and what these breed clubs were created for in the beginning um so i think that you know partially that is certainly to blame because over time if these dogs are only bred for the show ring they are going to get watered down Mm -hmm. i mean that that that's pretty and kind of like you said a lot of those extremes are market driven and so when that becomes what people see or want and that is what people start breeding towards and you're going to start losing that functionality in the breeds and so i think you do definitely see that happen a lot with kennel clubs i mean i i I hate to blame um the akc because i don't necessarily think it's the akc i think it's the people that are breeding and showing and exhibiting in it you can't Mm -hmm. really blame the club because you know really that it's i tell people all the time just like AKC registered really doesn't mean your dog is quality. It's AKC is just a registry. So they're not, you know, the ones that are controlling what happens in the breeding and the breeding mm-hmm. decisions that are made and the direction that these breeds go. They're just a registry. So initially, you know, they do encompass all of your, you know, the Akita club of America, the bulldog club of America, you know, all of those specific breed clubs. Those are who are, are, are really in charge of maintaining and preserving these dogs. And so, I think the blame needs to be placed on the people who have them because, again, like I've been saying, I think there's importance that should fall on both sides of that. You know, obviously we want our dogs to be functionally functional and structurally sound and follow that standard, but they also need to have the capability to perform the role that they were initially bred for. Mm-hmm. So that's our responsibility as breeders and exhibitors of these breeds to maintain that on both sides of that. So. Uh, can you talk about your like say your morning and evening routines with your dogs? What are some of the things that you like to like to do? Yeah, so um, again, you know, with the summer, it's mm-hmm. not you know quite as exciting, I guess, yeah. um, as as some of 
what we would be able to do with better temperatures. And, you know, we walk in the morning and we walk in the evening because, you know, it's either sun's not out and it's not quite as hot of the day. Um, you know, most of our running obedience and things like that are done inside now. Uh, during the weekends, I try to get out with them. You know, again, I mentioned earlier, we've got a lot of waterfalls and state parks and stuff around here that we can hike and travel to. And that's another thing that I, I probably couldn't leave with Tennessee is because, mm-hmm. you know, we're very, very fortunate to be kind of centrally located to a lot of that. So we do a lot of hiking and, you know, kind of exploring and getting to get the dogs out to do stuff like that. And of course, in the fall and winter, you know, we're going to have more shows. So we're going to be traveling. Usually those run Thursday to Sunday. Mm-hmm. So we'll usually take off about Wednesday night and go out to those and spend the weekend there and come back, you know, Sunday night. So um, had a couple, you know, weeks that we're, they're back to back weekends. So we don't have get to spend a ton of time at home um, <laughs> for those. But a lot of that. And uh, again, you know, with this year, a lot of stuff has been canceled. But the sport trials kind of are sporadic throughout the year as well. So we'll try to fit those in where we can. And generally we've got a couple, you know, training classes and clubs for various things around here that happen, you know, Tuesday nights, Monday nights. Um, We've got one on Thursday nights that again, right now are not happening. So we're doing a lot of uh, trying to, you know, skip by at home, but generally we do a lot of that stuff too. So unfortunately they're in the evenings during the week. So I can kind of come home from work and grab some dogs and go to those. Awesome. And can you talk about the diet and the reason behind uh, the diet that you feed your dogs? Yes. So um, I actually feed Pro Plan Sport. Um, it is something I avoided for a long time and uh, had a lot of friends that were had sport dogs, a um, couple that were just doing confirmation that had told me about it. It was kind of after all the stuff came out about the grain-free foods that had the legumes in it and that were causing the um, heart problems that I really started to look at, you know, different options and had a lot of people tell me about that. And so finally I was like, you know what, I'm going to try it, you know, at least say that I've tried it and my dogs have done fantastic on it. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, they do get a little bit of raw. I do have some supplements that they're on, but, um, they are primarily on propane sport salmon formula. Um, Mm -hmm. I have never had a Nikita do well on anything chicken or poultry based. I've tried them on turkey food in the past and chicken food in the past. I've never had them do well on it. Mm -hmm. Um, had a hot spot problems, dry skin Mm -hmm. problems. I mean, you name it. And that's pretty common for the breed. Um, not sure if, you know, that even has anything to do with just the history of where they were. You know, fish was a lot of their diet, you know, mm-hmm. way back when. Potentially, you know, that's still part of it today. But I just, you know, for whatever reason, of course, chicken is, you know, the cheapest right. meat that you can get in food. And so I, maybe they just don't like cheap food. I don't <laughs> know. But, uh, they've, they've never done well on that. So I've had them on, again, the propane sport. But so far, loving it and uh you know, well, hopefully they, uh, that's one thing I have always said, you know, with, with all my dogs, it's like, you find something that six of them do well on. And the seventh one is like, no, no, that one doesn't work for me. Right, <laughs> so, right. Um, this one, you know, I've had all of my dogs on this and, and so far has been great. Um, so I, you know, hopefully I don't keep any more that don't like it, but, uh, it's been good. So, and again, you know, they do get some raw, which is really, you know, primarily for, you know, teeth and things like that, that, um, it's good for them to have, so I do give a little bit of that. We do some supplements. Phyto, I've got Phytoflex and um, Showstopper for coats, but um, yeah. So, so who who are some of your mentors in in the Akita world? Oh goodness, um, <laughs> I've been blessed with so many great people over the years. Um, there was a breeder by the name of Brenda Panko of Verifax Akitas in Canada. Um, who was wonderfully helpful anytime I had questions for her. It was kind of when I was first starting to get into that world, and um, she was one of the first breeders that I really got to meet and know. Um, she has since passed away, and that was really a big big loss for our breed. Um, Linda Logan of Kaseki Akitas out in California, Linda and Gemi of Excel Shuku Akitas um, in New Jersey have become very close friends of mine and are an absolute wealth of knowledge. Um, Brian Williams with Alchemist Akitas was really, I guess, my biggest launching pad for me and my program. Um, he kind of took a chance on me with placing my first show dog uh, with me, um, a Russian bitch that he had imported. And um, we have since co-owned and co-bred several dogs and are still great friends today. Um, honestly, this is a, can be a tough community to get into. I will never forget 
one of the first things that somebody told me when I got into the breed. It was, no one can decide who has nastier temperaments, the Akitas or their owners. Um, Now that I have been around a while, I can tell you it is absolutely the owners. (laughs) But there are also some fantastic people in this breed who have been, again, a wealth of knowledge and hugely supportive of uh, me and other newcomers. And um, so I've been very blessed to to have that as a resource and still have those people around today. Awesome. Awesome. Always loved Rottweilers. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I've actually got a friend out here out of Nashville that has working line Rottweilers that I've gotten to know a little bit and have since learned that that's probably not the breed for me to, ha- you know, have and own, but have always loved them. Um, I think maybe later in life, I would like to get into some of the other Nepo breeds, which is going to be like those, um, you know, Shibas or Shikokus or mm-hmm. something like that. Uh, maybe even a Japanese Akita, because like I said, I don't have that experience. I mean, I guess that's not really branching out a ton. Um, Jolos, I think, would really be something that I would be interested in. It would certainly give me a break from the dog hair that I deal with now. So <laughs> maybe those. Um, uh- Speaking on that, what what are our Akitas like in their, uh, you know, as puppies and, and adolescents? Um, they, they're very smart dogs, um, so they pick up on things pretty quickly as far as training goes. The one thing I usually tell my puppy homes when training and raising them is they can get, because, I don't know if it's because they're smart or because, you know, they're independent or what you want to call it or blame it on, but they get bored quickly. So if training becomes super redundant, they're a lot of times going to disengage into like totally. Mm-hmm. Um, so I like to shake things up and try different things or, you know, kind of just change the way that we bring things to the table for them so that it maintains some interest. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're generally pretty clean. I say that loosely because I have a couple of dogs that are better not. And um, hmm. I'm told that that potentially passed off to their kids. So um, I, I for before I stick my foot in my mouth on that. They usually are, though, and um, they're usually pretty easy to housebreak for that reason. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, that that's obviously a, a pretty good aspect to them. They're, again, pretty quiet, pretty uh, calm in the house, and that's been nice. They usually say, you know, if, if an Akita barks, there's a reason, so pay attention. Mm-hmm. Um, so that that's another thing that I like about them. I think I mentioned earlier why that's why I wouldn't have the beagles as much as I think that they're adorable and grew up with them. <laughs> the constant hound barking yeah. is uh, not something I really want to have. So that, that is one thing that's nice about them. Again, they are aloof. Um, you know, that that's both from the aspect of with strangers and people that they don't know, they're not going to be super warm and welcoming to, but um, you know, they kind of are independent and, just their nature in general so they're not going to be one thing that i do like is they like to be with you but not necessarily on top of you Mm -hmm. Um, and so they're going to be in a room laying down you know near you but not touching you or in your lap or trying to jump on your couch with you and so i like that it's it's the companionship without the overbearing you know (laughs) give me attention they're not super um like attention hogs so um so they have yeah, been very good, very protective early on. Um, you know, I, I bless my, I've got a lady that comes and um, just routinely cleans the house. And um, <laughs> I had her, she was doing baseboards around the door. And, you know, I've had females attack the door um, when she's gotten close to them. That They're very, very protective early on with, obviously, you know, puppies. But very good moms, you know, very good at keeping the box clean and, um you know, tending to the puppies. The thing about Akitas is they generally have lower litter sizes, smaller litter sizes. Mm -hmm. Um, We've got some fertility issues in the breed, a little bit lacking, I shouldn't say a little bit, a lot of it lacking, uh, genetic diversity, which I think plays a major role into that. Mm -hmm. Um, And why we're seeing decreased litter sizes. There's a couple, you know, recently I've seen more big litters than maybe we have in the past couple years. But um, that makes it a little bit easier, I think, maybe to maintain because whereas, you know, you've got Great Danes or Bulldogs and things that are popping out 10 and 12, you know, we've got half that half the time. You know, if we got mm-hmm. five and we're, we're excited about it. Um, I do actually have uh, just confirmed that one of my bitches is pregnant with potentially six to seven puppies. So um, 
that'll be a little pissier than usual. And this is a uh, maiden bitch. It'll be her first litter. So we'll see how she is as a mom with that many, but hopefully good. Um, usually, you know, not, not a ton of problem. Again, even as puppies, they're really not super vocal. Uh, so it, it's been nice in that regard. Awesome. Um, this this breeding that I just did was a uh, yes side by side AI. So I actually had to drive out to Arkansas. Um, the bitch that came in came in a lot earlier than we were anticipating. Her ovulation was kind of funky, so I found out where we were at, jumped in a car, and uh, drove to Arkansas. And we did two AIs back to back days, and then brought her back home. And obviously, you know, again, she's confirmed pregnant, so that's good. A lot of frozen breedings. We've got. Um, you know, people that import semen from other countries that are used or, you know, across the country. The one thing, you know, it's Akitas aren't as common of a breed, so we don't have as many people in the breed kind of in close proximity to be able to breed to their dogs. So a lot of this is done with, you know, fresh chilled or frozen semen breedings. So Um, frozen is, you know, you generally are going to get I don't want to say less success rates, but smaller litters is usually what comes out of that. Right. There are certain certain bitches that are going to have just really good fertility, and even on frozen litters, they're going to have bigger litters. Mm-hmm. It's not super common. Um, you know, actually, I see a lot of people in bulldogs just, you know, from being involved with that community that do frozen litters and actually get, you know, eight or nine puppies. Mm-hmm. That's unheard of in Akitas. Right. Um, so, you know, a lot of frozen breedings result in singleton puppies. And, um, so that's, that's pretty scary. You know, when you just with the temperament issues and things that can come from singleton puppies and the challenges that just come from, you know, not having that experience of a litter and their litter mates and being able to learn from each other. And then on top of that, taking a breed like the Akita that is, you know, temperamentally challenging a little bit as is. So that's intimidating. Um, but it is pretty common. And again, I think, you know, a lot of our fertility issues does stem from the genetic diversity or lack thereof so um we do see that a lot and i've I've seen quite a few this year uh singleton puppies result in from frozen Mm -hmm. human breedings Mm -hmm. so if you're you know wet fresh or you know natural is of course best option if possible but um you know I, i personally obviously have had success with the ai so um hopefully continue to do so awesome well, I thank you for your time, and it was uh, fun to hear about. And maybe uh, we can do a follow up in the in six or seven months. Yeah, that would be great. Thank uh, you again. Awesome. Thank you very much. All right. Talk to you soon. Okay. Have a good night. You too. Bye. Bye.